morning. Uh, Matthew 1, 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's all give uh, Punny a round of applause for all of that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hard words in there. Hey, let's pray. Uh, God, we do thank you for your word, every bit of it. Uh, and so, Lord, we thank you uh, that you, you can bring to life texts that we may have overlooked. And so, Lord, would you do that this morning? Uh, would you speak to us, as we said earlier, uh, this theme of peace? Would you give us peace this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, don't you hate it when someone ruins the end of a movie for you? Or they ruin the end of a book for you? Maybe you're reading Harry Potter and you're in book four and someone says, hey, did you hear what happens in book seven? And you're like, mm. <laughs> I hate that. It is unforgivable. I can't ever stop knowing now what I now know, right? Like I can't go backwards. And so now there is a war between us. There is hostility. We're not okay. Well, this is awkward. Um, I want to publicly apologize and confess and repent <laughs> for ruining Star Wars for some of you last week. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I committed that which I hate. I repent. I hate my sin. And since I publicly sinned, I, I want to publicly seek forgiveness. And so I am sorry. Will you forgive me? PJ, thank you for my text. We all want to enjoy the story, right? We all want to enjoy the story that leads up to the ending. Like, we, we know this intuitively. Like, 
part of the fun of, of reading the Lord of the Rings is the journey that we get to go on to that we get to go on to and, and, and the part of the joy that happens in the Lord of the Rings at the ending, and I won't ruin it for you, uh, is that we went to such dark places to get to that ending. The desire to hear the backstory, the, like the, to hear the, the hero's origin story, to know all that went on to bring the, us, the readers, to this point is the normal way of thinking. Our, our brains and minds work this way. Like, we want to know what happened, except, except, except when it comes to the Bible. In every other story, we want to hear all of the prequels. We want to hear all of the, the, the buildup. We want to know all these little minute, minute details, except when it comes to the Bible. When it comes to the Bible, we just want to get to the ending. We just want to go all the way to the end, and we want to skip past all of, all of the, the buildup. And, and we like to think that the story of Jesus begins in the New Testament, and we completely ignore the Old Testament. And so in one way, Matthew is, really a, is the last chapter of an old, old story that started a long time ago. And so when you read the Gospels, you get to read the final chapter of a larger story. But lots of times we, we don't want to read those earlier stories. Um, they can be hard to trudge through. Um, and, and we just want to skip ahead. And Matthew is saying that you cannot go forward until you go backwards. And so Matthew is saying we need to, we need to look backwards as we prepare to celebrate Jesus' first advent and then long for the second advent. And all of that, I, I hope, is going to bring us peace this morning. And that's the title of my sermon this morning is A New Peace. We're in, our, we're in this series, All Things New. We had a, a new hope and now a new peace. Um, now, maybe you're thinking, oh, good. <laughs> like, I've been needing some inner peace. When Malcolm did his uh, three uh, breaths moment, that was good for me. <laughs> it's been a little stressful morning uh, getting things ready for everything. And I was like, I didn't know I needed this. <laughs> And so maybe we're thinking, yes, I need some of that type of peace. Or maybe we're thinking, oh, good, we need world peace. That's what this world needs is world peace. And, and, but peace could be said to be those things, or it could be to say to, just to be at rest, to be peaceful. It could be said to be without hostility, without, without, without grief or, or, or opposition between two parties. And so peace is what we're after when there is hostility between two parties, when you ruin the end of a movie, when, when, you, when you, you do that, you need to find peace. You need to make peace because things aren't right. And so maybe today you're at odds with someone. Maybe there, there, there feels like there is a war between you and someone or some people, and there needs to be peace. Well, when we broke God's covenant... When we broke the law of God, when we, when we sinned against him, there was not peace. There is not peace. There is a war between God and man. There is hostility. Things aren't right between God and man. And this genealogy of all places, this genealogy is the answer to all our problems. I can't, you may be saying, I can't wait to hear this message, but you chose a genealogy? Ugh. That must have been a mistake, preacher. 
I mean, if you really want me to stay awake, if you really want me to ever come back, maybe pick a text that will bring some fire to this passage. You know, it's cold out here. It's early. <laughs> Please stay with me. I think it's going to be good. I, I would contend that this genealogy is the perfect place for us to find a new piece. And we're going to look at this new piece in three ways. We're going to look at it in beginnings, bums, and begats. Got that? Beginnings, bums, and begats. So beginnings. Now, some of you may are getting a little nervous. Are we really going to go through all those boring names again? <laughs> I'm sure that halfway reading through that scintillating text, some of you may have just said, I'm just going to rest my eyes. <laughs> Maybe you said, how can I get out of here? Will it be in, in, insulting if I just pull out and go? <laughs> yes, it would have. Um, doesn't he know this is the worst sermon idea you could preach from? No, I, I get it. I get it. I, I, I'm the same way. I feel like genealogies in the Bible are, are feel like clearly skippable parts of the Bible. Like there's this general understanding between God and us where he says like, oh, yeah, you don't, you don't have to worry about reading those. Like I don't even read those. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. <laughs> but I mean, if there is one area, you're, it feels like you're clear to skip over. It's this, right? No one reads the names. But that's where I want us to stop and appreciate that every single word, every single part of the Bible is inspired by God. Meaning, if God took the time to write these words like a letter and mailed them to you, they have value. He cares about this. And the great news is that Matthew begins this passage in a very ordinary way. He doesn't begin it with, once upon a time. That is great news, that he doesn't begin it once upon a time and tells us this immaculate you know, tale. No, he, if he did that, that, that's where fairy tales begin. That's where legends and myths start. No, he says this is real. This is the record of the genealogy. And the very first verse of the New Testament begins in verse 1. It says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So he's saying the book of the genealogy rooted in history, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so that's the whole thing. He kind of condenses this whole genealogy in this first verse. He was the son of David and the son of Abraham. And so Matthew, who was himself Jewish, is writing to a particular crowd of people, of Jewish people, and his aim is to show that Jesus is one of us. More than that, he's the promised Messiah. He's the son of Abraham, and then the descendants and the son of the King David, and then all the way to his birth. Well, the good news for you is that I'm not going to read through every single name here just because that might take us a very long time, but I will pull out a few strands, a few threads here. Um, he starts in the beginning with Abraham because Abraham, as you remember, was, was taken out to see the stars. Now, not the stars that you see here in Waco where you see a couple and you might say that maybe a satellite, that maybe a plane, that's not what he saw. You got to drive past McGregor, you got to drive past SpaceX and all of their end-of-the-world toys that they are playing with. you got to go where there is nothing that blocks the millions of stars that are all around us. And that's when God said, count the stars if you can count them, and that's going to be how many children you have. It is a powerful message that God gives to Abraham. 
this message of promise that those are your descendants, Abraham. And so it's a powerful promise, but that, that was God's promise to Abraham. And so this genealogy is a genealogy of promises fulfilled. Yes, look back at the, at the descendants of Abraham. Just see how it goes. And there was many times where that, that promise was in jeopardy. A promise was not it was in jeopardy of not being kept. It was it was in promise of uh, uh, it was in jeopardy of being lost. But yet, time and time again, God makes a way. And in Matthew one one, it says. to skip to book seven for Harry Potter or just watching Endgame without watching the first Iron Man. He says, here's the wild reality. you got to go back. And then later in, in the New Testament, Paul says in Galatians 3 something, something radical. In Galatians 3.29, Paul says something ridiculous. He says something that will change your story. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Do you see what he just said there? Those stars that God promised to Abraham weren't just referring to his physical descendants, but his spiritual descendants as well. When you understand what Matthew is doing right here in this text, when you realize that this isn't just, a, isn't just Jesus's genealogy, this is your genealogy. His family tree is your family tree. And so if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ, then you are a son and a daughter of Abraham. You are considered an offspring of Abraham, not genetically or ethnically, but you've been adopted into the family. And so it's not just Jesus' genealogy we're looking at, but it's your genealogy. We're not just looking at Jesus' family tree. This is your family tree. This is Ancestry.com. There has been so much push to figure out, who are my people? Where do I come from? Matthew is trying to tell us, these are your people. This is who you come from. And that means that those who belong to the family of God are your brothers and sisters. And so if you look around here today, this is your family of God. Now, sometimes in our quest to learn our family history, maybe some of you guys have done that. You've looked back. You've asked questions to mom and dad and to grandparents and then went on the, these websites and you looked it up. Maybe you bit off more than you can chew. Maybe you found some skeletons in the closet and you said, oh, that's our family? Ooh. <laughs> Well, didn't want to know that, actually. <laughs> and that's where we go from beginnings to bums. For any Jew familiar with this Jewish history, for anyone with at least a little knowledge of the Old Testament, the reading this genealogy is rather kind of shocking. Like, as you read through the list of names here, it really becomes a genealogy of dysfunction, a genealogy of disobedience, a genealogy of bums and scoundrels. A genealogy of the unacceptable. And so it's a genealogy of grace. 
Now, to understand that, to, to get that, you have to know the, the way genealogies worked in that day. In the ancient world, genealogies were like your resume, your, your, your tailored and perfect resume. If, if you were a somebody, if you wanted to advance, you would compile your genealogy to say, look, look at what pure bloodlines I come from. Look at my ancestors and their decadence and their wonder, their brilliance. This was how you got ahead in the world. It was how you were recommended in the world. Now today, just like then, people monkeyed around with their resume and their genealogies. And so like today, for example, if you worked um, this one job but things didn't end so well, maybe you don't put that job on your resume the next time it comes around for looking for a new job. You're not really particularly fond of that history, okay? So, uh, or let's say maybe you graduated from high school and you went out to college, but you flunked out your first semester, and then you get out of that college, you turn your life around, and you work, go to another college, and all goes well. But when it comes time to, to fill out your resume, maybe you don't put that first college on your resume because, you know, you were just finding yourself, right? <laughs> that's, that, that's what we do. That's exactly what they did in the ancient world with genealogies. You wanted the best people on your genealogy. And if you had some rather suspect people on there, then you just doctored things up so as if they never existed. We know King Herod was famous for doing this. Herod purged all kinds of names out of his genealogy to appear worthier. Jesus does the opposite. In this unpurged genealogy, Matthew highlights sinners, unexpected people, social outcasts. And so let's just do a drive-by on some of these. Um, you know, first, you have Jacob. I'm not sure if you remember him, but he was a bit of a scoundrel, uh, tricked his brother, lied to his father, stole his birthright. He was just a bit of an all-around bum. Then you have Judah, who is one of the 12 sons who had a propensity for prostitutes and unknowingly had relations with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who liked to dress up as a prostitute. And when he finds out Tamar is pregnant, he condemns her. But then she says, but you're the father. Whew, it's like a daytime soap opera. <laughs> and every day since, Thanksgiving meals have been awkward in that family, Right? Then we see Rahab, who's listed here as a, as a prostitute, uh, but that's not all she was, but she makes the list. And then Ruth, and it's important to note how many women, as we're highlighting here, have made the list that are included in the genealogy, which isn't normal when you do genealogies. And not only women, but Gentile women. Already we see with Jesus in, in his first advent, things are changing. In verse 6, you have Bathsheba, but her name isn't even listed here. They don't even put her name down here, and that's not a jab at Bathsheba, not at all. That is a jab at David for raping a woman who then becomes pregnant. And this woman, Bathsheba, was married to David's best friend, who was one of his loyal men. And to cover up his sin, David has Uriah, his closest friend, murdered. Then you look at David's son, Solomon, who was famous for having 700 wives and 300 concubines. Then in verse 10, you had Manasseh, who, had one of Israel, who was one of Israel's worst kings. He turned the nation to worship Baal and set up idols in the temple. 
he engaged in witchcraft and he burned his own son as an offering to Moloch. This is the genealogy of Jesus. How do you feel about your family now? Like, this is Jesus' family. This is the genealogy of, of God's grace. It's a story of plucking undeserving sinners out and making them family. Not that he wants you to stay there, but this is the type of people that God gathers. Some of you have come to church today, and you may say, there is no way that I will feel accepted in a church. There is no way that I would feel accepted as part of, a, part of God's family. But when you read this genealogy, you might say, well, okay, maybe I could join that. <laughs> a bunch of dysfunctional people, that sounds like me. This is Jesus' history. The law of Moses precluded these people from being in the presence of God because they were unworthy. But they are worthy enough to be in the presence of his genealogy. What we see here is that it does not matter who you are, what your family's backstory has been, the grace of Jesus can cover you. In Christ, no one, not even the greatest, doesn't need the grace of Jesus Christ. But in him, no one, not even the least in this world, are out of reach of the grace of Jesus Christ. The greatest and the least equally need Jesus. In Jesus Christ, prostitutes and kings sit down as equals. Jew, Gentile, equal. Male, female, equal. Every single one of us is equally in need of the grace of Jesus. And so this is a genealogy of peace. When we realize that there was hostility between God and us, and yet he, he brings together these people to himself, it should bring peace to us that we would say, he's reconciling that sinner he might be able to reconcile me. This is a genealogy of peace with real people. It's not a fairy tale. Peace that has been accomplished truly. Because we look at the, it's, it's history showing us who Jesus' family is what was and who he is atoned for. Jesus atones, makes payment for your sin. He satisfies the wrath of God, that hostility that we have with God. He satisfies that. He dies in your place. He rose from the grave and reigns and rules in heaven. And that king, that risen king, he's no longer on the cross. He's no longer in the grave. He's a risen king. That victorious king invites you into his family. He wants to adopt you into his family. And that king is not ashamed of his family. You see, he is not ashamed to even put the names of his family of Ancestry.com in Matthew 1. He puts it all right here. He doesn't say, this, this isn't an episode of fixer-upper where, you know, let's fix you up to come into the family of God. The family of God is for the messed up. This is the good news of the gospel. I love you just the way that you are. No strings attached but I love you too much to leave you the way that you are every single time. And so we've gone from beginnings to bums, and now let's look at the begats. 
And the old King James version, it, it reads a little bit differently than our modern versions here. So instead of it saying Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob, uh, it's a little more succinct. And it says things like Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat Judas and so on and so on and so on. And so it kind of creates this rhythm or this cadence. And so it, it, it feels like this beat that's going on and for 16 verses, begat, 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 begat. And you become a little callous to it. You're like, okay, we get it already. We, we understand. <laughs> Just put all the names out. But then verse 16 happens. Then verse 16 happens. Jacob begat Joseph, and Joseph begat... Oh, it doesn't say that. In verse 16, it says, there is no begetting of Jesus. You have 16 verses building up, and then in verse 16, and Jacob begats Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. He was the father uh, illegally, in an illegal sense, so that he, Jesus came from the right line. Jesus came from King David, and this is what King Herod was after when he was wiping out all babies uh, to make sure that he was the king. But it doesn't stop the king of the universe, for he wasn't even born from a human father. The father of Jesus, Joseph, adopts Jesus because Jesus' birth was not normal. Mary was a virgin, and Jesus had no earthly father. But he did have a heavenly father, and that was more important. This is how the God of the universe enters his own story. He interrupts. He confounds. He disturbs the natural orders of the way the universe works. He pauses the laws of the universe to surprise humanity to step into his creation like an author stepping into his book. When we say that there is no way he can make a way, he finds a way. He breaks our boxes that we put around him, and God becomes man. This is wild that the divine king of the universe has a belly button. Why did God do it this way? Why didn't Jesus just have a biological father? One, sin was passed down through the father. And so without an earthly father, he was born innocent, sinless. Two, only God can create something out of nothing. It's to show off that he, he, he can do this, right? But three, because he was the God-man. This is the perfect picture of fully God, fully man. His death was not just a, an earthly man's death. It was a, a death of infinite worth. So not only has peace been secured for your sins, Jesus' blood is of infinite worth. That is God's blood, and it is sufficient to pay for the sins of the whole world. And so true world peace can happen. We can sing about true world peace. I mean, think about this. Because Jesus brings together prostitutes and kings on equal level, he tears down gradations and values upon each other, and so he makes peace everywhere. This peace that Christ kicks off with his first coming is peace for you, but it's peace for your neighbor as well. It is a peace that makes amends. It is a peace that reconciles you to one another. It's a peace between insiders and outsiders. It's a peace between male and female. It's a peace between nations and races. 
Like we can have peace with each other because look at what, how Christ has made peace with us. He tore down that dividing wall of hostility. He'll tear down every wall of hostility. He's in the business of tearing walls down, right? He, he's making peace. If he can squelch that alienation with God, he can squelch any alienation we have with one another. And so are you working towards that peace with one another? Are we looking to make peace with each other? Are we looking to make peace in our cities to seek its shalom, which is peace? It's fullness. It's restoration. Are we looking to make peace across the world and not just think only of our myopic self in Waco, and I love Waco, but thinking across the world? A peace on earth and goodwill to men isn't just a Christmas saying that conjures up nostalgic hallmark memories. It's the goal of his first coming. Peace vertically and peace horizontally. And one way I think Matthew tries to drive this point home is that what he says here in this last verse of our passage here, in verse 17, for the longest time, I, I was confounded why Matthew said it the way he said it here in verse 17. He talks about there the generations from Abraham to David was 14. Then from David to the exile was 14. And then from the exile to Jesus was 14 generations. And it, it feels so odd. You're like, interesting, cool. <laughs> Thanks, Matthew. Now, we know that Matthew has an unpurged genealogy, right? He, he, he includes all of the people, crazy Aunt Sally, creepy Larry, right? He has all of the, the, the people you don't want in there, he has in there. But it's not an exhaustive list. There, there were some generations that, that, that he doesn't mention here. And so Matthew is making a point. He's trying to drive a point home with doing 14, 14, 14. Now, to be honest, Venturing into the world of numerology can be scary and sometimes untrustworthy. So I'm not saying this is, this is it. But one suggestion that I found particularly helpful from some of the commentators is that Matthew is arguing that Christ is the ultimate rest. If you look at that genealogy, there are sets of seven. So you have two sets of seven till David, two sets of seven till till exile, and two sets of seven till Christ. And so that when Jesus comes, he is the seventh set. Why is that important? Well, because God rests on the seventh day, right? The seventh day is the symbol of Sabbath, the symbol of rest. Another practice that the Jewish nation was partaking of was that every seven years, they had to let their land lie fallow to replenish it. And so in Leviticus, every seventh seven year was the 49th year as a year of jubilee when all debts were forgiven, where all slaves were made free, where all land, all people would, would rest from their weariness and their burdens. And so if you understand that Jesus Christ was really born and fulfilled the promises made to Abraham, from a line where prostitutes and kings equally sit down together, who was begotten, not made, true God, true man, king of the universe, and he chose to invite you into his family, where you get to call him Abba, Daddy. That he invites you into his family. That means we are living in the year of Jubilee, where true rest happens. True jubilee and celebration and peace happen. 
And if we can enjoy that rest and that enjoy that peace, then you'll have all the peace in the world, vertically and with one another. Would you look at who's invited you into his family? Would you look at your ancestors? Genealogies are brimming with hope and peace. Don't sleep on them. Let's pray.